Grace and peace to you this morning. We're so glad that you're here on a beautiful Lord's Day. I especially want to welcome the visitors. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. So as we're anticipating the the resurrection of of Jesus next week, we want to uh, spend some time this morning reflecting on the cross. I want to read that story for us as we begin. Lots of great activities coming up. Of course, next uh, Sunday is Easter Sunday. We'll have a get-together with the Vogels afterwards. And the following Sunday is our, our barbecue. We had a great gathering here Friday evening to watch, uh, watch a movie. And so a lot of kids here to do that. And I, I want to encourage the kids that were here to be listening up because I'm going to use a quote from that movie in the lesson this morning. So be paying attention. Let's begin. Mark 15. And we're going to begin reading in verse 16. Then the soldiers led him into the courtyard of the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole cohort. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on him. And they began saluting him, Hail, King of the Jews. They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him, and knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe And those who were crucified with him also taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Oile, lama sabatani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they said, Listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. Mark 8, 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
The culture in which we live shapes us more than we realize. It is the air that we breathe. It is the world in which we live. And we're surrounded by it at all times. And it can be difficult to distinguish between what is cultural and what is not. Culture even influences how we view religion. Compare the religion of the Puritans with the modern health and wealth gospel. They're quite different. Why? Well, there are various reasons, but one of them is that they arose from very different cultures. An important question that we need to consider is, how has American culture shaped our understanding of the Bible? And I want to suggest one way this morning that our culture has influenced us. As Americans, we value comfort. You know, we we like things to be quick and easy. Uh, We're the ones that invented fast food. You know, just think about it. A hundred years ago, there were no fast food restaurants. But now it's all over the world because of us. You know, we no longer have to work hard to find our food or, or prepare our food. It's all done for us. You know, I think about um, in my closet at home, I own a pair of Chuck Taylor All-Stars. Now, some of you know what those are, some of you don't. But um, Chuck Taylor was an actual person. He was a, a basketball player in Indiana. And in 1923, he endorsed... Converse sneakers. Americans invented the tennis shoe. We like comfortable clothing. We like comfortable shoes. And many of the comforts that that we now enjoy are a direct result of the culture and the country in which we live. Now, personally, I am thankful for all these comforts. But at the same time, we do need to pause and ask ourselves, Is comfort always better? You know, sometimes we try to take shortcuts and these shortcuts do not benefit us in the long run. The health and wealth gospel, which promises health and wealth, prosperity and and good health, um, has become popular in America because it promises easy comfort. The problem is that it is a distortion of Scripture. When we look at Scripture, we see that the cross is at the center of the Christian faith. We see that Jesus suffered a bloody and violent death for our sake. The cross is the answer to sin. The cross is our salvation, but the cross is also how Jesus describes the life of a Christian. We are to take up our cross and we're to follow him. Well-meaning people over the years have, have sought to make Christianity something it is not. And so sometimes promises are made that are unrealistic or, or simply untrue. Christianity is not a magical solution to solve all your problems. Becoming a Christian does not mean that you will never struggle with sin again. Jesus himself struggled with temptations. He spent 40 days 
fasting in the desert to prepare himself for the temptations that he was going to face. And some Christians have given up on fasting altogether because, you know what, it's just not easy. It's a burden. But maybe the struggle of fasting leads to something positive in our life. Fasting helps us overcome temptation and and sin. and, And sadly, there are many who will not even try it because they value comfort too much. And we've eliminated this helpful spiritual practice that Jesus engaged in, and we've traded it for Christianity light. You know, I, one of the best movies to come out over the last several years is The Kid Who Would Be King, and uh, there are many great lines in the film. I want to point one out. Merlin the wizard, at one point in the movie, says to the children, the most worthwhile path is seldom the easiest. And as Christians... We should not be seeking the easiest path or the most comfortable path. We should be seeking the most worthwhile path, the path that leads to wisdom. We should be seeking that path which shapes us into the image of Jesus. And so Christianity is not an invitation to comfort and ease. It's an invitation to take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's an invitation to become a virtuous person rather than a a vicious person. That is, a person that is committed to vice. The path to virtue is not the easiest. It's not the most comfortable. A virtuous path means that we must tell the truth even when it is to our disadvantage. It means that we must do right even if it's going to cost us something. It means that we must sacrifice on behalf of others because we reject selfishness. It means that we forgive when we have been wronged. And this is the way of Jesus. This is the path that leads to a better world. It's the path that leads um, to us becoming more like Christ. It is a cross-shaped path that is demanding and sometimes difficult. You know, as you read the Gospels, you're going to discover that that Jesus asked people to count the cost before they followed him. And I want to read one of these moments. It's found in Luke 9, 57 through 62. It says there, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury, go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus never says, come follow me and all your problems are going to vanish. Instead, he invites us to a way of life that will lead to blessing. But it's going to come at a cost. 
Jesus offers us an abundant life, but we're going to have to make sacrifices along the way. Jesus wants followers who take him seriously. He wants followers who are committed to to following him no, no matter the obstacles that we face. You know, one of the areas where comfort versus sacrifice is most evident in our culture is marriage. And so for many years, there was a, a myth presented in our culture that everyone has a soulmate, you know, and if you find your soulmate, then you're going to enjoy a fairy tale marriage. And, and everything's going to be as it should be. And this idea was presented in movies and books and TV shows all over the place. And people bought into it. They believed it. They thought it was real. And guess what happened? Well, divorce rates climbed. Why? Because it was a lie. It was a myth perpetuated in our culture because we value comfort and ease. The truth is, marriage is good. And you look at statistics, people who are married are happier than people who are not. But we have to be honest about marriage. And marriage is a struggle. It's not always easy. I like what G.K. Chesterton once said. He said, marriage is a duel to the death, which no man of honor should decline. (laughs) I think he's right. Marriage benefits society. It's good for your children. It's good for you. But it's not easy. And we shouldn't pretend like it is. Love is not magic. Love is sacrifice. It's when we sacrifice our own wants and desires for the sake of someone else. Why would we do this? Well, there are several reasons why. For one, it makes us happier. Jesus says this himself. He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it took science about 2,000 years, but here in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, they've proven this. Our lives are more fulfilling and meaningful when we consider the needs of others before our own. We also must consider that no one would want to live in a world where selfishness is the norm. That would be a living hell. We would devour one another. It would be a world that's, that's filled with greed and, and violence because no one would look out for one another. We'd only be looking out for ourselves. We were created to love. And God is love. And the cross is love. But love is not always easy. Uh, listen to how author Robin Phillips describes love and the life that we're called to live. I think he gets it right. He says, Scripture shows that love is a battlefield. To love is to be at war. For love can only be preserved through struggle and painful commitment. By taking one difficult baby step after another, as we struggle forward towards Him who is love, We grow holy, not by never falling down, but by getting back up and resuming the struggle. We're called to love. We're called to struggle. And it is in the struggle that we are becoming the people that we ought to be. 
And the struggle allows us to know that we are on the right path. We haven't given in to sin or to evil. We're opposed to it. And therefore, we do experience struggle in our lives. We're not always perfect. We fall down. And how many times we fall is not important. What is important is that we get back up again. And that we stay on the path. And that we continue to head in the right direction. The Bible is one story from Genesis to Revelation. And the cross is the climax of that story. The cross is Jesus overcoming Satan. It is light conquering darkness. It is goodness triumphing over evil. The cross is what makes forgiveness of sins possible. Without the blood of Jesus, we are lost. Without the cross, there would be no Christianity. And we are to view everything through the lens of the cross. This is why Paul would write to the church at Corinth, I decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The cross is our salvation. But the cross is also how we live. You know, immediately after professing to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, Paul says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And so what he tells us is that he was struggling with the Christians at Corinth because he understood the cross. And this is what we're called to do, to live cross-shaped lives. This means like Jesus and like Paul, we're called to make sacrifices on behalf of others. We're to live, not for ourselves, but in order to bless the people around us. And the cross not only frees us from the slavery of sin and offers us forgiveness, but it also changes our view on life. And so rather than seek comfort and ease, we pursue what Jesus would pursue. And meditating on the nail-pierced hands and the crown of thorns, that's something that will change your perspective. And so maybe watching the football game is not as important as helping my neighbor. Or maybe volunteering my my time to help others is of more value than going to the lake. Or maybe, you know, the money I was going to spend on my next shopping trip would better be spent on helping the poor. And these are not easy decisions. They are decisions that require sacrifice. They cause us to give up some of our comforts. And we don't really like that, but... They are decisions which help to shape us into the people that we ought to be. Jesus loved us first. He came to this earth. He took on flesh for us. He suffered and he died so that we might live. And he did not do these things so that we could live however we want to live. He did them so that we could be the best version of ourselves. He sacrificed His body so that we could be like Him. 
And the path to be like Jesus is not the easiest path. But it is the best path. We were created more for more than a life of comfort. We were created to be a blessing to others. We were created in the image of God to be like God and to do the things of God. And if you think about that for just a moment, that is not a low calling, free of difficulties and strife. That is a high calling. We are pursuing perfection. And we're going to stumble. And we're going to fall more than we like. But that's okay as long as we keep pursuing. And so if, if your life consists of struggles, it might be because you're on the right path. You might be experiencing pain and hardship because you're standing against evil and you're refusing to give in to sin. Struggle does not mean that you're doing something wrong. It could mean that you're doing something right. The way of the cross is not an easy path, but it's the path that we're called to follow. We're to take up our cross and we're to follow Jesus. We are to pursue what is good and what is true. We are to seek what is right. And this is not easy, but it's the only path that will lead us to becoming like Christ. And so, through the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven. We don't have to worry about earning our salvation. Jesus has paid the price. He gave his life. Now, we are invited to become like him. We are given a mission that is demanding and difficult. And we shouldn't pretend like it isn't. We arise from the waters of baptism having received the Holy Spirit, forgiven of our sins, born anew. And it's in that moment that we're also handed a cross and expected to follow Jesus. The most worthwhile path is seldom the easiest. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we thank you for the blessing of salvation. That you sent your son to earth to die on the cross for us that he shed his blood so that our sins might be forgiven. He did what we could not do. And we're so thankful that he has given us salvation. At the same time, Father, we also recognize that we are given a high calling and that we are called to take up our cross and to follow him. We confess that we often fail we often falter. But we pray that you'll be with us. That your Holy Spirit will empower us as we strive to live like Jesus. And to follow him each and every day.
We pray this in his name. Amen.